0: digital marketer today it's erin mcpherson hello and welcome to the digital marketer podcast i'm your host jenna snavely and today i'm really excited because you get a little peek behind the organic content machine we have been slowly but surely building for the last six months why we're going to be interviewing Erin McPherson. She's our new head of content creative and editorial. And she has been putting a huge focus, huge investment in the content we're creating on a design level, on a writing level, across the board. She has leveled up our game. And I'm so excited for you to hear from her as we just dig into the project she's been working on how she's been leading the team, coming into it, how she thinks of organic content. And if this is your landscape, design, social media, blogging, writing, video, creative, then this episode is certainly for you. And even if you're maybe not a believer, (laughs) maybe you're more of a paid traffic person, you'll definitely want to hear this one too because, oh, it's beautiful when it all ties together. Here it is. Well, Aaron, I kind of want to introduce you to everyone. I mean, it's not like an announcement, but, you know, I want everyone to get to know the person behind a lot of our new content initiatives, a lot of our new brand initiatives, and give them a little bit of background. So how did you get started on writing and content and all that juicy stuff?
1: I have always loved to write. And I used to write for fun, like a nerd, I guess. And I was a teacher. I was a Spanish teacher. And I know you were too, right? Yeah, that's so crazy. (laughs) And I remember, this is a kind of a funny story, but I was writing my final exam one year. And they had basically told us that grades are due, but you have your final exam after grades are due, which is really confusing. And so I basically had to write a final exam that wasn't worth anything. And I was writing it and I was like, well, I might as well have fun with this. And so I wrote this test for Spanish. And the students were like, this is the funniest test I've ever taken. It's so fun. You should get it published. And I thought, I was like, that's weird. And I started thinking, maybe I should get writing published. Maybe I should try it. So I started submitting things to like contests and random, like, you know, there was like a bike contest and I submitted why I needed a new bike and won it. So anyway, long story short, I started getting into writing and then I got pregnant And I realized that I might want to stay home with my son. And so I started thinking about other job options. And my husband saw an ad on Craigslist. And it said, wanted parents who are writers, must have published experience, must have a master's degree in English, must have all these great things that I didn't have, but I applied anyway. And a few weeks later, I got a call and they said, we have no idea why we are calling you. But we just felt like we wanted to. And you're the only person out of more than 500 applicants who is unqualified for the job. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh. So for some reason, I have no idea why they chose to hire me. And that job was actually at um, MTV Networks at Nickelodeon. And from there, I got a huge crash course in content because at that point, we were just filling content for all of Nickelodeon's parenting and kids' sites. And from there, I just fell in love with it and kept going. So there you go. That's a really long story to tell you <laughs> why I started getting into content.
0: That's a really good story. Um, to hear that you want a bike,
1: to like test your skills and you want a bike is pretty cool. So to be fair, I left out the minor part of the story that it was a men's contest for a men's magazine. <laughs> so I wrote it as my husband and I didn't tell him. And then he got a call like, you want a bike for your um, essay about fitness. And he was like, What essay? So, oh, anyway, no. I did win the bike. So I told him, I was like, Hey, you got a bike out of the deal. Yeah. Did he know it was you? He didn't at first, but th- I think he was pretty suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who else enters fitness contests? Talk about kind of what your role is at Scalable.
0: And for those listening, we have, you know, obviously this is the Digital Marketer podcast, but Digital Marketer is one brand. And underneath what we call the Scalable umbrella, and we're launching a lot of new properties. And yeah, Aaron, what do you, what do you do
1: with it? So I really believe that the basis for all digital marketing needs to come from the content. So that podcasts and articles and downloadables and lead magnets and videos. And I know that this goes against what a lot of marketers think, because I think paid and social and all of the, you know, all the standards stuff for digital marketing starts with having this really amazing base for content. So I believe that before you should invest in paid ads or before you should invest in growing your email list, you should invest in having amazing content that people can go to and that they can find and they can understand who you are and what you stand for. And so at Digital Marketer slash Scalable, I've been really working on building that content base. So like I said, I really believe in this podcast. I really believe in the other podcasts we do. I really believe in articles and the video team and some of the courses that we do because I feel like that content kind of lays the groundwork for how a company can grow.
0: You're making me feel so validated.
1: (laughs) You validate me every day. Well, the stuff you do is amazing. Like I listen to some of the podcasts and the workshops that your team does, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what people need to know. Yeah. So talk a little bit about what this strategy is for,
0: for each kind of brand property and like coming at it from a launch perspective. You know, a lot of people are told, obviously you have to make sales first, but
1: we're not doing that. Right. Because, like I said, it's really hard to sell something if people don't know what they're buying and what's behind it. And so, while we sell, you know, we sell a lot of products that are really high value content, I really do believe that the first step needs to be creating all that groundwork with the content that we have. And so, we're right now working really hard as we launch properties to basically come up with these frameworks with articles and with podcasts and a lot of downloadable lead magnets. And all of those things may not be something we're going to sell, but I think there's something that's going to bring a whole lot of value. And
0: that's huge. Yeah. So when we're thinking of all of the writing and all of the creation that needs to be done, obviously you can't do that all yourself and you lead a pretty large team. So how do you make sure that The content is good when you're not able to do it all.
1: I have great writers. I have great designers and I have great videographers and we have great podcast team. And I think the key to good content is to hire really good creatives and then to train them to be even better. And we have really good creatives. And right now what we are working on is just training every single creative on our team to be even better. We've been talking a lot about how to be a good writer because the baseline for all of these other pieces of content is good writers. Like you have to have a good script. You have to have a good copy for an infographic, anything. And good writers are not just born. They practice all the time. So we've been doing a lot of writing training with our group. A couple of weeks ago, we had all of our writers come into the office and we basically printed out, I think it was 10. We printed out 10 viral articles that had gotten more than 10 million views online last year. And as a group we went through all 10 of them and we kind of kind of figured out what made them go viral. Was it the graphics? Was it the content? Was it the stats? And we came up with a methodology for how to create viral content based on all of the things that we saw in these viral articles. And I think that training really was a good way to start thinking about writing. And then from na- then on we're just doing a lot of practice like Jenna will attest, I and I'm doing it myself too, every writer on our team has to write a piece every single week now just for practice.
0: And that goes for not just like the people who were hired to be writers,
1: but people like our community manager, Michelle, is writing articles. Because I think that the community manager, she has to know how to articulate what she's saying when she's on our Facebook groups. and. I need to know what I'm saying when I'm writing an email to a business person. So all of those things, I called it a business person. A business (laughs) person. (laughs) A business lady. So anyway, we all need to know how to put our thoughts and feelings in like written word and just really spell it out in a clear, concise way.
0: So I can tell you're really smart because you opened a loop, I think, kind of unconsciously about what makes up viral content. And there's no way the people listening right now were like, oh, yeah, sure. just don't tell me about that. (laughs) So I'm going to demand
1: that we go into what you guys found out. I have these articles printed out because I made everybody. I got everyone little pens because I love little colors. (laughs) And I made everybody annotate them. And I keep looking back at them because the annotations from my team are just so smart. Obviously, there's no like, oh, this is how you make viral content. Step one, you do this. Step two. But what we did find out was first imagery every single piece of viral content not only had great words but they had pictures that or graphs or charts almost like like a picture's worth a thousand words that showed what those words meant and the second thing is they all told a story they didn't start with like there are 10 things you need to know to write good content but instead they started with real stories that could relate to other people and real stories by the writers and then the third thing we found Was that viral content, no matter what it was about, no matter who wrote it, no matter anything, it appealed to the emotions of everybody. So we Mm. had – there was this story about Hurricane Harvey in Houston and this bakery. It was a Mexican bakery and they basically got trapped into their bakery with flooding. And the bakers decided to make pan dulce for like millions of people in Houston. And they were just like baking for like five days straight. And that story, while many of us weren't part of Hurricane Harvey and we aren't bakers and we maybe don't even know what Pound Dulce is, it just appealed to everyone because it was basically like we were stuck, so we did our passions. And then the imagery behind that just really resonated. So it's just this idea that like, even though people can't relate to what you're saying, everybody can relate to what you're talking about, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Everyone can put themselves in those shoes and imagine like, What if I was that hero, almost?
1: Right. Yeah, I guess those, like, themes, like you said, heroism, and anyway, they have these, like, thematic elements that everyone can relate to.
0: I I don't know if I even remember that story, but when you were telling it, and it's not like you were, like, like getting into the details
1: of it, but I was tearing up a little. It appeals to the emotions. So as our team is writing content, obviously, like, not every piece of content is going to be viral, but the idea of writing viral content... Our team has just been trying to implement those few elements, just the idea that like let graphics speak, let graphics be part of it. The idea of like telling a story, even in a hundred words, you can tell a story. And the idea of just like thinking about these big thematic things.
0: Yeah. The graphic thing is interesting because I think a lot of times design elements in general can kind of come last. You know, like, okay, just pick a stock image of someone looking at a chart and that'll show something. I know you lead our design team and our video team, all the
1: creative. Tell me a little bit about that. I don't get an inside look very often. Well, you're exactly right. I think design is often an afterthought. I actually think sometimes writing is an afterthought. I think people think of these really awesome article ideas and then they're like, get it done as fast as possible and then throw a picture that you found on the stock image site up there and done. And I actually thought about what the question you just asked. I am going to answer it. It's just going to be like a roundabout (laughs) way. The question you just asked was, you know, about design and how you implement it. And I remember we were looking up articles a few weeks ago on internal communications because we're launching an internal comms property. And I Googled internal comms and I found probably like six or eight blogs slash websites about internal comms. And they all had the same exact articles. I mean, they were a little different, but they were all like five steps to improving communication and five ways to communicate with your team. And every single article, I was like, there's no life, there's no personality, the graphics are like a, you know, a stock image of someone whispering in someone else's ear. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being like, this is so sad. And that was kind of at the same time we were investing in this, you know, viral articles training. And I started really thinking about how we can put design first. So one of the things is, is our design team is going to be From now on, meeting with our writers before they even write so Mm. they can start thinking of articles. And then also just kind of investing in the story. So, like, instead of saying five ways to communicate with your team, finding stories of maybe a miscommunication or maybe someone who's struggling to communicate and then using that story to create the graphics. And then the other thing we're really working on is, like, charts and tables and all those things, which seem like they might be boring, can be so interesting in the right situation. So I just gave you a whole bunch of answers. But basically, (laughs) design is really, really important.
0: Also, yeah, it's funny because there's a subreddit called Data is Beautiful. I'm pretty sure it's called Data is Beautiful. And it's basically just like people making charts and graphs. And like it's one of the coolest things. It's You're right. It is so easy to kind of push it aside and be like, oh, Nobody likes charts and graphs, but it's a visual representation of something that's hard to
1: communicate. One of the viral articles <laughs> is about the psychology of design, which I was like, the reason I printed it out was because I was like, wow, how did an article about the psychology of design get into the 10 million views? Mm. But it's so fascinating because it has all these charts and graphs, and it talks about like how the colors and how the way they've laid it out like appeals to people's emotions. I'm like obsessing over it.
0: That's I keep cool. having my
1: entire design team look at it. I'm going to give it to you later. You yeah, can look I at it see too. It. We can maybe we can post this the, a picture of, or a link to the article on this podcast page because I just think it's something that everybody should look at because it's just so interesting.
0: Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. What about when it comes to video? So, you know, it's it's not as static. You can maybe tell more of a story. Like, what are, what are y'all working on? What are you, so what are you
1: doing? So our video team, again, I think you would agree with this. They are brilliant. They are, they are incredible. Are so <laughs> good. But I think it's the same with the video. It's really easy to do. For example, I was watching our own last year's YouTube channel. And we had like multiple whiteboard videos in a row. And at first they were getting tons and tons of views and then it kind of trickled off. And I'm sure it trickled off probably because people were like, I've already seen that. It's the same one. But I really think with video, you have to be varied. And the thing that worked last week probably doesn't work this week. So you always have to be thinking on your toes and thinking about how to make video, especially if it's long form video, just compelling and interesting. And also make sure that the content is concise enough to where Like people are willing to watch a two-hour video if the content is like jam-packed and tactical, but people aren't willing to watch a two-hour video that says the same thing for 25 minutes.
0: You know what this is bringing up? And I don't know. I don't know if it's off topic or not. So I'm taking a watercolor class. And for those of you listening, I'm not an artist. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm very much a beginner learner. But in the last class, our teacher was talking about, and this is all over Zoom, Don't worry, people. He was talking about what makes art interesting and like what makes a painting develop. And he said that it's consistency, repeatable, repeatable consistency that's slightly different every time. So like anytime you do a brushstroke, making it slightly different every single time and then something that's a big contrast. And I feel like that kind of like is exactly what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly right. You know, I don't know if anyone has... I don't know. Have you seen the new LinkedIn video series? They just released it yesterday. And it's basically about... It's about like digital marketing on LinkedIn. It's like a content series they're doing. But they've kind of gone with a cooking theme. And they have these pans. And they're like cooking. It shows like a chef when they're like flipping the thing in the pan. And they're like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what they're flipping is a whole bunch of like blue L's, like LinkedIn. And so it's totally like you said, like you're expecting the chef to be cooking like vegetables and instead it's like blue L's from LinkedIn and it totally catches your eye. And then you're like, I got to see this because it's just that one little tweak. Yeah, it's
0: kind of the same with comedy too. Like when you're doing any kind of comedy um, or improvisation, it's not like, like, oh my God, make everything the craziest thing possible because then nothing is normal. It's like make it a normal scene and then just do one little flip on its head. So it's like, Someone talking as a mother and daughter and disappointment and you come to find out like she put her shoe on the wrong foot. Like it's like something very small or something very big and the reactions are not in proportion.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it and I love that. And our video team has been working on doing exactly that. Normal things, normal scenes, but having that one thing that makes it just a little bit more interesting or a little bit more compelling.
0: That's very interesting. So moving into the actual content itself the actual like meat of it the first question i have like when i look at the things you have coming down the pipeline it all sounds amazing and incredible and really interesting you know some of the concepts for articles or for your lead magnets where are you
1: brainstorming those how are those coming to light it's a big process and i think you need to have the whole group involved and I think it kind of depends cuz you know a regular blog article we have to publish 5 or 6 a week. I think that can be brainstormed in a group of one or two. But when it's something a little bit bigger, I really think it has to come from a group of people really thinking it through, throwing out a bunch of ideas and seeing what sticks and going with it. For example, we are working on a really cool lead magnet about design right now. And it's about the idea that like we talked about like imagery is so compelling and it's with a design company. I think I I'm just going to tell you that the company, because it'll give you extra, it'll give them extra promotion. Yeah. So we're working with Canva on it. And Canva obviously is like a design system, but it's for people who aren't really designers. So we're creating, so, okay, here's the long story short. <laughs> My son was going to get a haircut. He's 14 and he has like wavy hair and it was like all in his face and crazy. And I was like, I will take you to get a haircut. And you know, he was being all teenagerish and we were sitting in the barbershop and they had a lookbook. book. And it was like, here's your hairstyle. You know, this hairstyle is great for boys with wavy hair and it looks good a little bit longer and it'll grow out in six weeks. And if you're an athlete, you'll have to wear a headband. So like every single style had like a little, a little like key on it of what you did. And then on the next page, they had all these like, this is this boy with this cut and this is this boy with this cut. So you could see examples. Okay. Okay. So haircuts. Now we're doing this like lead magnet for Canva and we were like, wow, we could do a lookbook. So we're taking all of the Canva templates, like their top ones, and we're doing like this template is great for Facebook ads. And it would be great for, you know, if you wanted to do marketing to this audience. And then on the other page, we're having all of our designers use that template to make their own little tweak on it. So they're like, I would use these colors and I would do this. And it's turning into this like lookbook for Canva templates. And I'm so excited about it, but it's kind of stemmed out of this like haircutting book, which is totally different, but also like just us talking and getting excited about how to make it even better. That's
0: so cool. I love that idea.
1: I'm super excited about the lead magnet because I feel like it's going to be such good content for so many people. There's so many people who maybe don't have a full design team, mm-hmm. but who want to be able to make great design. And also, I mean, the lookbook was awesome. Like, my son got a good haircut. <laughs> so you know it works. Yeah.
0: What what I find interesting about it is just being, like, coming from the perspective of being in the middle of the product, listening to direct customer feedback all the time, like, a big, a big issue is it's often difficult for people to translate something for themselves. So for their own industry, you know, for whatever they're doing. I'm sure there's people listening now who are like, well, great, but I don't know how to do that for what what I do. And And I feel like the specific lookbook examples, it's like just small enough to where they can get an idea of where they can change it and what they can do with it. And it's kind
1: of holding their hand and putting them in the center of the story. I agree. I also just think the lesson from a content creation perspective from this is that you can't just start with an idea and go like, you can't just be like, I'm going to talk about why Canva templates are helpful for professionals. You have to actually take some time to like really think about the content and how you can produce it in a way that's going to be really compelling. And so I think my biggest recommendation to anyone thinking about content is to pause, take a couple days, work together in a group and actually like really think through the audience. Like you said, really think through like what you would want to have and not just throw something out there.
0: Yeah. Does it get difficult when there's too many ideas? I don't know. I don't think there's ever such thing as
1: too many ideas. Because the truth is, is like, let's say we had 20 ideas for our Canva thing. I'm sure 19 of them could be reused in other ways. And if we use Trello, we save our brainstorms in lists. And I always go back and look at old brainstorms for new ideas. Mm, that's super smart, too. You have a lot of tricks up your sleeve. When you got to make a lot of content, you got to be able to like you have to be able to work fast, but you also have to be able to slow down. So, you know, it gets yeah. complicated.
0: So tell me the challenges, kind of the way you've overcome some of the challenges This sounds like an interview, like a literal job interview. Am I like getting interviewed for the job? I hope you get the job. I hope I Um, do too. (laughs) Some of the struggles and challenges you faced with having so many different properties that are kind of speaking to similar audiences, but about different things. How, How have you been handling
1: that challenge? It's complicated. It really is. I come from an agency. So I spent the last 10 years working at an agency in New York. And our agency only spoke to the audience of teachers, but we had a whole bunch of companies that hired us to speak to teachers in pretty much the same way. But if you're working with Walmart and you're working with Target and you're talking about school supplies, you have to frame Walmart as different from Target. And that's really hard because Mm. they're pretty much the same. Sorry. I know like a whole bunch of people are like, Walmart and Target aren't the same. I didn't mean to say that. I mean, they're selling the same things. (laughs) So I think the challenge is that you have to really, really separate in your mind what you're doing with each audience, with each company, with each property, and just really, really work on figuring out how to differentiate them while still reaching the same audience. Another thing, I think a lot of times in my agency, I used to put the different teams on different projects. And what ends up happening is, is since both teams were trained in the same way and both teams have very similar skill sets, they end up coming up with the same idea. Hmm. So I think putting the same team on the same projects so they can differentiate them makes more sense. So if you put the same writer on Walmart they put on Target, then they're going to be able to keep them separate better. Whoa. There you go. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. So it's July. July. It's It's July July. 1. It's just July. Yeah. So it's July, which means it's been six months. About since, oh, you, yeah. since you've been here. That's crazy. I feel like everyone always says, especially a digital marketer, that it's like double time. So
1: you've officially, unofficially been here for a year. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. It's like basically my anniversary.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I kind of want to get into a little bit of leadership stuff because I know it's like you've come in and you've done a lot for the company, kind of brought together a lot of teams and you've had a lot of responsibility put on you. So, I'd love to hear just like your ideas on leadership, your ideas on coming in somewhere that already has an established culture and system. This is how we do things. Like, what do you what advice do you have for people that are doing something similar?
1: Well, my first piece of advice is to go into a company that's really well established and does a good job. Like, part of the reason things have been easy in my 6 months is because this team is so good like The teams that I've been working with are already amazing, so I didn't have to do much. Like, I can look good without doing anything because my team is so awesome, including you, Jenna. (laughs) And But I do think it's really hard to be the new person, especially because you may see things that you're like, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. But you don't want to be, like, flipping everything on their head right away. So I think I've had to learn some restraint because at first I might have said things or done things that were maybe too quick or not thoughtful enough or maybe not understanding the processes. I also think you just have to come in and you have to like really trust that the current team knows what they're doing and knows how to do it while trying to advise them on how they could get a little better while recognizing that you may not know better than them. And I've had to learn some lessons that way. But I do think because I started on a team that was well established and really strong, it makes it really easy. So I don't know. I don't think I have advice. If you had to come into a (laughs) if, if I had to come into a team that was like a disaster, it would have been a whole different situation. Well, I, I do feel like
0: you know, kind of the organic content has been elevated in a way, not not on necessarily like, oh, it's so much more incredible now. Although it is even better since you came on, but also the the status of it, the the way leadership views it is more important. If there's someone now, and I'm sure if you guys saw the title. You know, you're clicked on this for a reason. You're listening to this episode for a reason. You know, you believe in organic content. How do you get other people to believe in organic content?
1: Yeah, I think it's very easy to think, okay, paid, I can convert this many people with this many dollars and it's done. And organic content is much more vague. But I can tell you story again and again of times that a piece of content has made a way bigger impact than any amount of paid An example, I used to work, the agency I worked for ran a channel called We Are Teachers. And we, a couple years ago, it was two years ago, we had a freelancer turn in an article. And it's probably an article that everybody listening to this has heard because it went absolutely viral. It was called "Lawnmower Parents are the New Helicopter Parents. And when I first read the article before it was published, I thought, this is really interesting. It's good. But I didn't realize it was as good as it was. But a couple of weeks after it published, it went like completely viral. And then the Today Show picked it up. And then a couple of other major news networks picked it up. And then suddenly, it was, I mean, we're talking like millions and millions of views and millions of people coming to our site and millions of people suddenly entering all of our other promos and all of our other things. And suddenly this one piece of content brought so much traffic and so much all of our other initiatives just boosted so much. We could have never bought that with paid. Even if we had put a million dollars into paid, we could not have bought that boost because we could not have found that exact target audience and we could not have spun off the same content. And I do believe that if you have the right content, it's worth a lot more than anything you can buy or sell.
0: There's kind of a the difference between like a push and a pull dynamic. It's just a pull, just a magnet. It draws people in. And then the paid content kind of is more like pushes people in.
1: Exactly. And I also think you said a magnet. That's exactly right. If you can build your social channels to where people are going to them to find the content that they're looking for, and you can build your blog for the same reason, you're basically getting you're like you're pulling people in for free. It's not really free because like you're investing in the content. But I think once you kind of have that machine going, it just kind of like grows on itself. And I really believe, you know, Facebook and Instagram can be a lot, more valuable on the organic side than they can on the paid side not to say you shouldn't do paid but i just really believe that like you can probably pull in as much organic content and it usually is then more segmented than you can through a paid ad what happens after like viral success what
0: does it become more difficult to keep people's attention is it are you afraid that things might drop what happens after that
1: yeah that's a good question I think in some ways things get easier and in some ways things get harder. Like you said, you are afraid you can't pull people's attention. You also like almost like are pursuing the next viral piece. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't happen, because there's been other pieces that I've been like, that's going to for sure go viral. And then it gets 100,000 views and it's confusing. So it is hard because you're pursuing this like organic virality and sometimes it just doesn't happen for various reasons. And it feels like every time it doesn't, it's a letdown. The flip side is, is once you've had viral success, you can splinter it out. So that lawnmower article, we splintered out hundreds of other articles. And still two years later, We Are Teachers is publishing lawnmower things back to school for lawnmower parents and all these things. And every time that initial viral success just kind of like adds to the new piece. And so things get easier as well, because you can really know the direction you have and you already have an established audience.
0: I hate to ask this because it's so not the point of the Digital Marker podcast, but not being a parent, I definitely did not see the lawnmower parent article, and I have to know what that means.
1: <laughs> so the idea is that like we used to, like when I was in school, people talked about helicopter parents who were like hovering over their kids and making sure everything was good. And now they're saying lawnmower parents are like plowing down um, oh, wow. the road in front of them. So the kids like have no, it's the whole like. Colt McCoy, like, prepare your child for the path, not the path for the child, something like that. That's a Colt McCoy quote. So they're preparing the path. They're preparing the path. They're making their path on their kid. But this article was written by a teacher, and it was basically like, oh, my goodness, I'm having to, like, deal with all of these type of kids in my class. And obviously that resonated. And again— It resonated because it had a story like she was a teacher and she was explaining why this was going on. It really hit a lot of people with a theme, like the theme of like teachers were having such a hard time with certain kids, but also every parent in the world. And there was great imagery in it. So yeah, lawnmower right there. That's like visual right there. Right. And it was all over the place. It was pretty funny because my husband, who is a principal, came home and he's like, I got this article at work today and it's like so good. We talked about it in our staff meeting. You should totally read it. And I was like, do you see the URL on that article? He's like, oh. <laughs> I like, I work there. what he didn't even I know. do. <laughs> I think content is an investment and it doesn't ROI right away. So a lot of businesses are like, let's just get our blog up and like it's an afterthought. And mm-hmm. I really think if you spend some time investing in really good content, it will ROI a lot higher. It'll just be a longer, it's a longer game.
0: Investing in content. Yeah. Well, and, and we've invested in, in kind of like very clear ways, hiring, you know, two new designers.
1: Yeah. So we we just interviewed for a designer. We had a designer, a really awesome designer on our team, moved to another division. And I had to hire a designer. And I ended up interviewing two people that I was like, oh, man, they're so good. And so I made the case to our leadership, like, I really want us to invest in This content in a bigger way. And like, if I have these two designers, and part of it was just because you don't find really, really awesome people that often. And when you do, you got to like nab them because both of them would have gotten snatched up somewhere else really fast. Mm -hmm. But I just kind of made the case that if we have extra designers, we can invest in content more. And it may not be paid content right away, but we can invest in really awesome imagery for articles and really awesome imagery for social, and it will pay dividends.
0: So, what kind of now that we have done a little bit of investment and put a put a huge focus on our writing and developing our writers and content, what results are we seeing and and what kind of things can people look out for?
1: You know, we started investing a little bit more in social about 4 months ago. And when I say a little bit more I had them move like a fraction of our time and energy and budget back over into like organic social. And we've seen significant increase every single week, um, just putting a tiny bit more into social graphics and social um, posts and videos, like doing a little few social videos. And then the same thing with our blog, week after week, we're seeing like a slow uptick in how many people come. And again, it's because we're doing maybe less articles, but we're putting more into each article. I don't want our articles to be the same thing anybody can find on any other digital marketer site. Like I want anything we publish on our blog to be something that people are like, wow, I hadn't thought of that before. And that's hard. But I have seen also, again, a slow uptick. And I do believe, same with our list, you know, our email newsletter, we're really investing in that as well. And hopefully all of you who are listening have noticed that it's getting better and better. But again, we're seeing a slow increase in our number of subscribers. But, you know, every 10,000 subscribers we have to our email newsletter, guess what? That's 10,000 people who are like really wanting to see our content. And I think that's really, really valuable. And so while it's slow, I think it's going to make a big difference.
0: I mean, huge difference. It's all about getting new people in. I'm curious about some of the content strategy on the other properties. So, for example, Scalable.co. We, we just launched and the the concept there is we have like really freaking good content and a lot of it is gated for a very small price. It's a very different model than the digital marketer model. How is that versus recess versus leading at scale? How, how are all those different?
1: Yeah. So scalable.co is Like you said, it's like really, really high-end, premium content, and the idea behind that is is because founders and entrepreneurs and business leaders, CEOs, like they don't want to hear a random, you know, fresh out of college blogger blogging about business. They want somebody who's been there and has really, really invested in it. And so what we're working on that is getting true experts, you know, with twenty years experience in the industry, who are really sharing their own personal strategies and really sharing like what they've learned through the years and giving insights and tactical advice. And so to me, that's really heavily premium content. That's just not something that very many people can do. Recess is an internal comms app that we have. And while we have really good content on it, We don't need the high-level expertise that we would have on scalable.co, and that's why it's free content. Like, what we're trying to do is give really, really good ideas on how to better your communication, and those are things that you can research. We've been doing a lot of interviews with our HR team, and again, it's good content, but it's not as tactical, and so I don't think it needs to be just as premium. And then leading at scale, again, leadership is really hard. You can't just lead when you're 25 and have never managed someone. And so again, we have pretty high level experts and it's a little bit more tactical and it's a little bit more expert driven. And so it's a little bit more premium.
0: Yeah, I feel like you're turning leadership a little bit on its head because you don't think tactical when you think of like leadership content and personal development content. A lot of it is very like mindset focused and and you don't get the the actionable steps in it. So I think that's kind of a huge change.
1: I agree. I took our leading at scale leadership workshop and I have quite a few years of experience in leadership. And I remember doing they had these little like worksheets and these little I don't know, they're little games. I don't know if games or activities. And I remember just thinking, Oh my goodness, I have never thought of this before. And it taught me so much. And I agree, like it's having that like specific, actionable thing you can do really makes a big difference.
0: Which is an interesting change too, because on Digital Marketer, I feel like we're we're keeping tactical, but we're still adding more human to it. Tell me about that decision.
1: Well, like I said, I really don't think people are going to connect with five steps to digital marketing, as well as they are going to be to a real story with a real something that they can connect to and real examples. And so we're just really working on sharing what we've learned, what we know, what we've failed at, and what we've succeeded at in a way that people can relate to. And also they can basically learn with us and also learn from us.
0: Well, I feel like we kind of just nailed it. I know. I'm super excited about this podcast. Me too. Erin, can you tell everyone uh, where they can reach out to you or learn more
1: about everything that we're doing? Well, obviously doing? we have like a million sites right now, which we're working on, which are great. But <laughs> I would love to get emails from you guys at erin at com, And I also would just love to hear from you guys on our blog and our social channels. Yeah. And
0: a final question, we ask this of every single guest for their first time on the podcast. Aaron, if you could go back in time and tell tell yourself that the self that was first starting on their journey at MTV Nickelodeon, if you could tell her anything at all, what would you say?
1: Oh, this is so, I I know exactly what to say. Like I was afraid I wasn't gonna be able to answer the question. (laughs) I would just say that regardless of all of the things you're going to hear, you have to believe in yourself and you have to just keep working hard because at MTV Nickelodeon, the editorial staff was very cutthroat. And I was constantly told like, you're terrible at this. You're never going to succeed. You're horrible. I have to throw this out. And I think that that they thought that was motivational, but instead it kind of sunk me into this like pit of like not trying. And I would just say, you've got this, and move on, and believe in yourself. Wow,
0: that sucks that they were like that.
1: I didn't. I've never worked at a place like that, so it's very scary. Yeah, me. I know we were just finishing the podcast, but <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. we're going to go back. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to blame New York because I'm sure that there are very many nice New Yorkers, and I later have learned there are many, but back then it was like red ink and it was like every single day, like, you think you can write, you can't write. And I just remember being like, I guess I can't write. And when I finally moved on after about five years from there, I went to this new agency and they had a managing editor from New York. And I remember telling my boss, like, I can't work with a New York managing editor. And then that new one was totally nice. So then I blamed New York for nothing. (laughs) But I do believe that managing especially with creatives like a managing editor or a creative director you can definitely kill more flies with honey so be nice to people yeah be nice well i think that's a good way to end yeah up. let's end it on be nice yeah
0: be nice and to everyone out there listening thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your day each week it means a lot and i'll see you same time same place next week